a new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra, and this is Twisted Twisted and Uncourt. So, welcome, Twisted Humans, to another episode of Twisted and Uncorked where we give you weird facts that will freak you out or depress you. We're not sure how we feel that week. Um, we drink wine or sangria, and we tell each other spooky stories. Mm-hmm. So, this week is a Sierra episode. Woo-woo. We are continuing with our special topic of, you know, who actually did it crimes. So, people that were convicted or later acquitted or retried or we have no idea what the fuck happened like my case last week we're still not sure um but yeah i'm excited to see what sierra has for this week but first do you have a fun fact for us of course i do as soon as i find one (laughs) (laughs) there's one in here but every time i see it i just can't i can't do it because it creeps me out too bad Uh... Well, um, I have an, no, that's, I got you. Okay, you go. Here we go. I got you. <laughs> um, so it, it's sort of not a fact, um, but it's, a, it's a fact that it's a story. Okay. Um, that works. That I found on Reddit. It says, the Greek name for the Milky Way is derived from the Greek word for milk. One legend explains how the Milky Way was created by Hercules when he was a baby. His father, Zeus, was fond of his son, who was born of the mortal woman, Alchemene. He decided to let the infant Hercules suckle on his divine wife, Hera's milk, when she was asleep. 
an act which would endow the baby with godlike qualities. When Hera woke and realized that she was breastfeeding an unknown infant, she pushed him away, and the spurting milk became the Milky Way. I... <laughs> I don't know... Greek mythology. I love Greek mythology, so that's I took a really... class specifically for Greek mythology <gasps> in you? college, yes. <laughs> that's so fun! I seriously, I love it. Greek and Roman gods, those two you know studies were probably my favorite um however i was not expecting that yeah although it strange. makes sense yeah it it does make sense um Oddly. my you know i as usual for sierra episodes i have two really short weird facts um one is that men can read smaller print than women but women can hear better on okay. average. I get that. Um, and then, you know, back to hearing. Wearing headphones for just one hour will increase the bacteria in your ear by 700 times. So I don't even want to know what the inside of mine and Sierra's ears look like then because we're podcasters. So naturally the headphones are on for at least the time that we're podcasting. Then we both listen yeah. to music and podcasts when we're cleaning and cooking and doing life. So it's just a bacteria infested cesspool over here. I clean my ears more than I should. So I think I'm okay. You're not supposed to like clean your ears. You're supposed to like basically let them clean themselves. But I can't. Random fact on the ear train here. um, Has have any of our listeners ever tried ear candling before? I have a friend who has. I've done it twice. Really? And it is wild. It weirds me out. I could use some simple syrup over here. The citrus makes it very tart. Oh, God. So, uh, sangria, <laughs> y'all. Sorry. I swear to God, Sierra likes some of the recipes that she chooses. <laughs> some of them. So we're drinking the Rosa wine still. Um, it's very dark. It's very dry. Very I, plummy. Went for a sangria that literally was considered a light sangria. Um, and it is just lemon juice, lime juice, orange juice in this wine. Uh, and it's just so dark still. But it's a <laughs> recipe for fucking heartburn over here. <laughs> yeah. But I like it. We've done um, a citrusy white sangria in the past, so this is interesting to kind of see the red. Um, and it's I almost see- sour. It is like my um, jaw hurts. Soda water, or you know, simple syrup, juice, or both, would, would, or both would sweeten up this bad boy a little bit. But all or just all. dump the wine on your carpet. You'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, guys, she's tolerated my laugh for <sighs> 26 episodes. I don't know how she's done it. Vinegar! Wine on the carpet! Sangria! <laughs> and my mod picks. Of course. Um, Sierra's so life anyway. is falling apart, guys. Anyway, guys, this is an episode where I'm going to tell you things. <laughs> As um, per usual. <laughs> So uh, the story that I'm telling you today is, of course, a listener request, like we said last week. Uh, this one is from Katarina on Instagram. Katarina I don't know if is so it's great. 
Katerina or Katrina. I know both ways. There is an E after the T, so I believe it's Katerina. But if I'm pronouncing it wrong, you just let me know. She posted it where, you know, on the post where we asked for special topic ideas, which, by the way, we will be doing again. So please go check that out. Give us your special topic ideas for the next round of stories. And be very specific. It could be like milkshake crimes. Yeah, like... Like, things that we can research. I mean, if you have specific cases you want us to research, that's fine, too. Yeah. Like, in this case. Um, But you don't have to do all of the research for us. We're not going to try and force you to to actually come up with this story. Just tell us what we should type into our Google search to find a story. Yeah, exactly. Um, And we'll go from there. But if you have one in mind that's, you know, pointed to why you're choosing to vote for this particular topic, like Sonera and Katerina, then perfect. Yeah. Please do. Um, So I am... So glad that this particular case was suggested. It is insane. Uh, I don't think I had ever heard it before this, somehow. Uh, There's so many twists and turns. And it's very shockingly similar to Alicia's story last uh, episode. So, yeah. This is going to be fun. Are we ready? No. (laughs) Ready? Okay. Yes. All right, so this story starts with the Hendricks family. David and Susan knew each other a little bit from school and from church. They were around the same age. Susan is actually a year older than David. David's parents were pretty important in the church that they went to, and Susan's family asked David's family to give Susan an internship over one summer when she was 15 years old. Okay. After having worked with David's family for a while, Susan decided that she was pretty good at this job and she wanted to continue it. So she dropped out of high school, got her GED, and started working with David's family full time. Shortly later, David, too, decided to take this route. He took extra classes and graduated high school early and decided to start working for the church and his family. Um, they were, his whole family was very prominently involved with this church. When David was only 19 and Susan was 20, they married in 1973. A year later, their first child was born. Born does not have a D at the end. I wasn't going to say anything. (laughs) And their first child's name was Rebecca. And it's spelled... My favorite way, the R-E-B-E-K-A-H. I love that name when like, it's spelled that way. Like Rebecca from Thrice Cursed Podcast. Yes. What up, Rebecca? It's my favorite. You've got a good spelling. David quickly became a successful businessman after attending college. He patented medical equipment such as neck and back braces and prosthetics. Damn. Two more children were born to the couple, another daughter named Grace and a son named Benjamin. Soon, Susan didn't have to work at all. She was the wife and home mother of a multi-millionaire, with David's business really taking off. He traveled a lot for work, marketing his products to doctor's offices and hospitals. And while David was away, Susan helped out in his office. But most of the time, she just went away with him. And they were lucky enough to enjoy even cross-country travels to places like London, England. Oh, shit. 
Yeah, fancy, fancy. All for not, you know, going the full time in high school, you know? Right? Just goes to show you that, you know, we're not condoning dropping out of high school, but the opportunities you can create for yourselves in some way. Yeah, if it happens, it happens. You got this. Yeah, everything's meant to be. But, you know, school first, guys. School first. Yeah. Also, keep in mind, this is a true crime podcast. (laughs) Also, keep in mind, this is the 1970s. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, too. Um, So, flash forward to 1983. David and Susan have been married for 10 years now. They're living together in Bloomington, Illinois, in a nice house, and their three children are now 9-year-old Rebecca, 7-year-old Grace, and 5-year-old Benjamin. All very the family, names. I know. And my favorite part ever is um, Benjamin is not called Ben. He's called Benji. Oh, that's so cute. Oh, I love it so much. I love that too. Um, so the family was doing great as far as anyone could tell. They were all still very religious. And most of their friends and family were all involved in the same religious beliefs as them. David traveled often, but their home schedule was pretty well managed. Susan kept a diary and all these years, and there was never anything strange or confusing written inside. It was all normal, day-to-day information about their lives. David buying her flowers or taking her out to dinner. David traveling and calling her to tell her he missed her. The kids doing well in school that week. Just average home life stuff. Gotcha. Her last diary entry ever oh was written on november 6th and again it was just about what she had done that day that took a the turn next day in your story real quick by the way i know <laughs> it's, it's a lot of information the next day was november 7th 1983 and it started out like any other day uh by the way just quick um insert this information here i do want to mention that a lot of Articles say that the events that happened on this day on November 7th happened on November 4th. And I don't know why people got confused and think that they happened on the 4th. Um, they definitely did not happen on the 4th. They happened on the 7th. And uh, there's an entire book about this case that I read. Um, Damn. And, yes, I got suggested I book. two books and I didn't have time to read both of them. But I well, have I listened. both of them. I listened. Um, but... Anyway, the book was written by the reporter who literally followed the case starting on November 7th. So, like, he knows it happened on November 7th. If you're going to devote an entire book to something, you got to know the dates. Yeah. So, trusted source. Uh, November 7th was a Monday. That morning, the kids went to school, David went to work, and Susan went to a doctor's appointment. At lunch, David and Susan met up to eat together and talk about the doctor's appointment. After the kids' school got out, both David and Susan were home with the kids for a while until Susan left to go out to a baby shower around 5.30 at night. When Susan left, David decided to take the kids out to eat instead of cooking. They went out to Chuck E. Cheese for playing and vegetarian pizza. Cestful of diseases in the play areas. <laughs> no. My... Not kid part of had the his. Story. <laughs> my kid had his last birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese. I got blood poisoning from Chuck E. Cheese, so me and Chuck E. Cheese have beef. <laughs> well, that's creepy. Um, David and the kids got there at about six thirty, 
After the kids had eaten, they wanted to continue playing, so David left them at the play place while he made a quick errand to fill his car with gas in preparation for a business trip that he would take later. The the receipt showed that he got gas at 7.36 p.m. Again, this is the 80s, not a huge deal to leave your kid at Chuck E. Cheese for five seconds. Now, you are not allowed to walk out without your kid. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you may not leave your children at Chuck E. Cheese. I tried. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Unsuccessful. They're like, ma'am, you came with a child. You must leave with a child. <laughs> when he got back to Chuck E. Cheese with a full tank of gas, he picked up the kids and they headed towards his home, stopping first at a mobile library along the way. A mobile library was like, you know, like a food truck for books, which is super fucking, fucking cool. awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you have the Scholastic Book Club to come to your house when you were like a kid? My would, house? No, not your house. Sorry, your school and like set oh, up yeah, like yeah. a book fair. Oh. oh, yeah. They still do that at the kids' school. <sighs> I imagine yeah, it's like that on wheels. On wheels. Yeah. And I would nerd the fuck out and buy all of the books. But it's. A library, so it's free books. Ah, even better. You just trade and borrow. Even better. Yeah. Uh, so he reached the mobile library at 8 p.m., and the librarian remembers talking to David and his three children as they returned and checked out new books. They left the librarian at 8.15 p.m. David said the children had a strict 9.30 p.m. bedtime, and he put them to sleep at that time as usual. He says he even laid down himself to get a little rest before his business trip. Susan got home from the baby shower at about 10.30 p.m., talked with David in bed for a bit, and then she turned over to sleep at 11 p.m. David left for his business trip just after this. Now, seems sketchy, but let me explain. David's plan was to drive through the night to Wisconsin, so that he would be able to market his back brace invention to some more doctors and hospitals first thing Tuesday morning, which he usually did. This was a normal thing for him going to different places. He would drive three hours through the night to his destination, sleep for a bit, and then wake up super early in the morning. And as he started driving towards home, he would make pit stops at a bunch of places along the way to his house. So like, you know, he wakes, he, he, Drives there, gets there at, like, probably 3 o'clock in the morning, goes to sleep, wakes up at 8 a.m., and basically he's literally driving home, but on his way home, he's stopping at every hospital or doctor's office he can to be like, hey, you should buy my new invention. Mm -hmm. Um, Hard work. That's how you become a multimillionaire. Yeah. He's an entrepreneur. He's selling his shit. Right. So on that Tuesday morning, David started making calls to doctor's offices and hospitals that he would stop in at about 8 a.m., like he planned. He drove a few miles towards home and then stopped at another hotel at 12.05 p.m. to make a few more calls and schedule a few more meets. At 3.01 p.m., after many calls and a lunch, David decided he would hang out at the hotel and get some rest again. He called home to check in on how Susan's day was going. By this time, the kids should have been getting off the bus home from school, so Susan should have been home. But she didn't answer her phone. An hour later, at 4 p.m., he called his office to speak with his secretary, Bev, and asked her to give Susan the name of the hotel where he was staying since he couldn't reach her earlier. Mm -hmm. 
That way, Susan would just call him whenever she got the free time. Yeah. He never got a call from his wife. At 5.31 p.m. same day, David called home again, and there was no answer. David knew that Susan had dinner planned that night with her family. Um, He didn't know the exact time she was supposed to go over there, but dinner was usually around 5.30 or 6. So um, he assumes maybe she was already at her brother's house with her parents and some other families uh, and friends from the church that, you know, they were all supposed to be having dinner together. Maybe they were just at her brother's house already. So David called Susan's brother's house at 540 and asked if he could speak with his wife. But they informed him that she wasn't there yet. David got a little more worried at this point. He called his neighbor from three doors down and asked them to go over to his house and see if if Susan was still at home. But she wasn't. The neighbor had knocked on the door. No one answered. The neighbor also told David that the neighborhood kids didn't remember seeing the Hendrick kids on the school bus that day. Yikes. So alarm at this point, bells are going off. Yeah. At this point, he's like, um, okay, this, this might be a, a big deal. <laughs> um, I don't know how big. And so he asked his neighbor to look up the local police phone number in the phone book there so that he could call and see if... Maybe she was stuck having car trouble somewhere. You know, there's no cell phones. Wherever yeah. she was, she could have called. Kind of like when you did the Springfield 3. You just you right. want to get an idea before you put something out as an emergency when it might not. Right. Right. He's just, you know, he wants to call and be like, can someone just check? Just find out. So at 6.34 p.m., David called the Bloomington Police non-emergency line. He said to the dispatcher, quote, Yeah, this is David Hendricks calling from, I'm up in Madison, Wisconsin. I live in Bloomington and I'm on a business trip right now. I'm a little concerned about my wife and kids because I've been trying to call them all day and haven't gotten any answer, end quote. The dispatcher asks where David lives and he responded, I'm not going to quote this whole time, but Mm -hmm. these are actual quotes. Yeah. (laughs) He responded, I live at 313 Carl Drive. Now here are the circumstances. I've tried to call them periodically throughout the day and haven't gotten them. I'm sure it's no big deal, no big emergency, but uh, they're supposed to be at a dinner date tonight at 530. So I called there to talk to her and uh, they never have showed up there. The dispatcher then asks, what's your wife's name? He responded, Susan Hendricks. And they're not at home because I called a neighbor who's gone over to the house and knocked. So I think they might have gotten in an accident between Bloomington and Delavan. Probably took Stringtown Road. Oh, okay. The dispatcher, so putting their route together if they did end right. up going. Okay. The dispatcher responded that they could send an officer over to the home. But David responded, well, the neighbor's been there. They're not home. So then the dispatcher put a local sergeant on the line to whom David reported the story, adding that he isn't even sure if the kids were in school that day. The sergeant checks for accident reports and couldn't find any sign of the family having been in a car accident and then gave David the number to call in and ask the state police if they had any other reports. David called the state police and still didn't learn any news about where his family might be. He was pretty upset with the police not being able to answer his questions about his family, mm-hmm. but he kept his composure. He gave both the sergeant in Bloomington and the state police his phone number at the hotel, what hotel he was staying at, and what room he was staying in, so that they could call him back if they ever heard anything. 
But by 7 p.m., he was too freaked out. He checked out of his hotel room, told the hotel clerk that he had to leave due to an emergency, and he began to head home. Again, three-hour drive. Halfway, he stopped at a payphone. Yes, for sure. Halfway, he stopped at a payphone to call his neighbor again and ask if there was any sign of his family. She still hadn't seen them. Susan's mother, being one of the people who was at that dinner date, um, was a little unsettled also when her daughter and grandchildren didn't show up to eat like they had planned. So she also called the police and said that she was worried that her 30-year-old daughter might be missing. Um, she told them the story. They said, yeah, we talked to her husband. She's like, well, you know, I talked to her husband too. None of us know where she is. Like, this is, this is probably a big deal. Mm-hmm. Police said an officer would go over to the home to search the house with David when he arrived. And if they find that there's no note left by Susan, then they would take a missing persons report with David. But she's a 30-year-old woman. Yeah. So they're mm-hmm. like, she could have left if she wanted to. Yeah, and I get that they need to have, you know, permission from the homeowner to enter the house, but it's like, without a warrant, rather, but it's like, if her- It's okay, they don't, I mean, they need it, but they, yeah. they go in. It's oh, fine. Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So, Susan's brother, Nate, who was the one who hosted the dinner, was also worried for his sister, so he and his other sister's husband, named Jerry, went to Susan's home to see if they could find her car on the way there. So they were, like, checking the roads themselves. Gotcha. They made it all the way to the house, finding nothing, and peeked into the garage to see if her car was inside. Unfortunately, it was too dark to see past the curtain in the garage window to be able to tell if the car was inside or not. But the police arrived shortly after those two brothers did. The police noticed, just as the neighbors and the brothers did, that no one answered the front door and that it was locked. So the police slowly and quietly walked around the home um, to f- check the back door. It was unlocked. Mm. Since it was unlocked, Similarity they could just go in. number one. <laughs> yes. The brothers waited outside, and the police officers walked in the home, expecting to find that her whole family was just overreacting. The family would be inside, sleeping soundly in their beds. It was pretty late at night by now. Okay. They were careful not to turn on any lights, thinking they might startle a sleeping mother home alone with her children. Yeah, no So they just, yeah, they just used their flashlights and went around to the bedrooms, shining a light in quickly. They noticed a body in the master bedroom, probably just Susan sleeping, and then they continued on to the other bedrooms. I actually can't decide what's worse, somebody turning on the light in the middle of my sleep or walking around with a flashlight. I know, right? I'm like, wait, what would creep me out I think the flashlight would be worse. Well, I mean, at first, I'd be startled by the lights, but at least I'd be able to see who it was. Yeah. If it was just a flashlight, it's like... I'd be kicking somebody's ass in the darkness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or trying to, at least. Yeah. Um, so next they go around to the kids' bedrooms. They see a few more bodies in their beds, you know, sleeping kids, whatever. But then one of the officers notices a little splatter of a red liquid that appears to be blood. He alerts the other officer that there seems to be something a little suspicious in the kids' bedroom, and they both shine their lights inside. Eventually, the scene be comes much more than just a little suspicious 
and the lights have to come on. This is, again, this is still the next day. This is Tuesday the 8th. Um, so David was just with his family last night, the 7th. Mm-hmm. In the home, police discovered that no one was sleeping. Susan and all three of her children had been violently murdered with both a knife and an axe. Determining the murder weapons wasn't hard, because both the butcher knife and the axe were found lying on the bed of one of the kids. Fuck. That's there so was, creepy. Yeah. They, like, just placed there. There was blood covering all the beds, and the walls near all four bodies, but there was no trail of blood anywhere else in the home to show where a murderer may have gone. It was like they just vanished. They, like, floated from room to room. Yes. Gross. Whoever the murderer was definitely had blood on him with a scene as messy as this one, but why wasn't it seen anywhere else in the home? I hate that. Yeah. Super eerie now that the lights were on the police could also tell that the downstairs of the home looked like it had been sifted through as if whoever was there to kill the family was looking for something after just five minutes of being inside the home the two officers came out silently to face susan's brother and brother-in-law they informed the two men that the family was inside but they were all dead And they asked them not to tell anyone of the circumstances yet because they didn't want the media coming by before they could process the scene correctly. Fair. Yeah. But also fucking heartbreaking. I know. Like, they did the right thing in telling them because in some instances they don't tell the family members what's going on and that gives them false hope. So I'm at least glad that they were up front, but not an easy message to deliver. Right. David arrived home shortly later at about 11.15 p.m., and the events that transpired when he did are still debated by the people who were there. The police say that David didn't give much of a reaction when they told him his family was murdered. They say that he asked if they went peacefully. The officer informed him that the scene was violent, and David calmly said, Well, they're with the Lord now. This immediately struck one of the investigators as suspicious. However, the two brothers said that this is not at all how it played out. They said that the police came and spoke with David after the brothers had already told him what had happened. So that's why David didn't react that way or, you know, the way the officers expected him to. Which we've said time and time again, too, is you can't choose. Like, nobody can decide what's an appropriate reaction to grief. You never know until you're there, so. Yeah. Nate said that he told them the family was murdered. And Jerry told David, it's okay. At least they're with the Lord now. So it wasn't even David who said this. It was one of the brothers trying to calm him down. Um, David supposedly asked even Benji. And Nate said, all of them are gone. And... Both brothers said that David collapsed with a low scream and then regained his composure when the police came over to talk to him. So, again, these are Susan's brothers, the dead wife's brothers. So, like, why would they lie for him, you know? Exactly. Even, especially if they had even an inkling to suspect him. So, as always, the first suspect is the only member of the family who survived, 
which was David Hendricks. Hashtag the husband always did it, but not always. Exactly. At 11.30 p.m., literally 15 minutes after he arrived, David was questioned by police officers in his neighbor's home. Shortly after, they asked him to go with them to the police department. So from here on, after David got to the police department, things get a little sketchy with police. For example, one of the officers says on the way to the station that um, this man isn't even showing emotion about his family's death, so he had to have done it. Mm-mm. And, like, he admits that he said this. Um, Not a fair statement. But, I mean, at the same time, things start to get a little sketchy for David as well. Okay. So, I'll say this again, just like I said this in the Darlie Rudier coverage, I'm going to try to tell the rest of this story while remaining as unbiased as possible, because this is another highly debated case. It's this hard. time, I think it'll be a lot easier than it was in that episode, because I honestly don't know what to think in this case as I'm writing these notes that I'm reading. So... <laughs> Kind of like me. I have no fucking idea. (laughs) Well, I've been reading the book regarding the case. And as I write this sentence that I'm speaking from my notes, I haven't finished it yet. Now in the future, I have finished it. Um, The book is a lot like the Staircase series in the sense that every time I read a new chapter, my mind is changed. Sometimes I think he's innocent. Sometimes I think he's guilty. And I want to know where what you all think. So I'm going to try to give all the important details. Um, Now that I finished the book, I do have my own um, opinion, but I'm going to read my notes as I wrote them when I didn't have an opinion yet. I like it. All right, so David quickly, yeah, David quickly became the only suspect for police in this case. Maybe they didn't look into other things as hard as they could have, because at least one officer already suspected him uh, based on his composure, or maybe there just wasn't enough to look into. Police did ask about all possible suspects that the other family could name, but there weren't really any enemies that the Hendricks had. They were a well-liked family. Everyone they hung out with was involved in their church and had the same belief systems, except like two people. David has one brother who had at one point in his life had sex before marriage and was put out, quote unquote, from the church for this sin of his. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people make this to be a big deal. Um, This just meant that he couldn't eat the bread or drink the wine. Like, that's all. Um... Many people were ashamed of him um, in the sense that I can't believe you did this, but like he still came to church. Mm -hmm. Uh, David, on the other hand, was very accepted of his brother and basically assured him that all hope was not lost and it was okay to not want to live the same way as him and that he would still love and accept his brother. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I just mentioned this to mention that... This is one of the people who didn't live the same way he did. It's no big deal. There's no motive. It's just an outlier from the rest of the people that the Hendrixes usually hung around. Uh, the other outlier who the family actually brought up to the police is one of Susan's sisters. Um, I believe her name was Martha. But I don't quite remember for sure. I know it starts with an M. I know Martha is one of the names in the staircase case, so I might have gotten it confused. But it definitely started with an M. I'm just going to say Martha. (laughs) It's a good name, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, she also was not involved in the church. 
Her family called her the black sheep of the family. No. But David and Susan were still very inclusive of Martha and her husband, John. Her husband actually babysat Benjamin often and often referred to David as his millionaire brother-in-law, which technically is facts. But some people thought that it was weird the way he talked about David. Um, They said it seemed like this John, Susan's sister's husband, was kind of jealous of David and David's lifestyle. There was also a weird phone call to the police from Martha where she called and just said, murderers, murderers, or something like that. Uh, She claimed under oath afterwards that she did not make this call and that um, the police's phones must have just been malfunctioning when they realized it was her who was calling. She was like, no, that wasn't me. You're crazy. I didn't do it. She sweared on the Bible. Just because you swear on the Bible doesn't make something true. She doesn't even practice the religion. Exactly. <laughs> that's a weird one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's in my brain with a little f- flag. Also, as a weird piece of information, Benjamin was killed the most brutally, with twice as many blows than the three girls, which led investigators to believe that the murderer had a closer relationship with Benji. And since... He was Benji's babysitter, John. This guy was looked into as a suspect for a short while, and police found um, that he was working on the night of the 7th, then came home, and his wife says he was with her all night. So he was excluded from being a suspect with that information. That was his alibi, his wife, Hmm. Susan's sister. Hmm. Um, The weird call that supposedly Susan's sister made wasn't the only weird call surrounding this case either. So there was another call from an unknown woman who said that she knows the two people who committed this attack and that they've already fled to Chicago. What the fuck? Yeah, super random. (laughs) Um, The woman hung up the phone and the call wasn't able to be traced. Another time, a man called in and said that he was the murderer. Okay. And this was during a time when David was in police custody, so it definitely wasn't David, but nobody knows who the caller was. Yeah. Um, It could have all been pranks. Yeah. It could have been just, no, I just want attention. Right. Nobody knows anything. Uh, Police also briefly looked into the thought that it could have been a burglary gone wrong or another prosthetics maker who wanted David's million dollar ideas. Mm. But they quickly ruled this out because they decided that the sifted through part of the home was staged. Okay. The home only had a few things that were sifted through, very specific things like Susan's purse was toppled over. Um, but they said that more serious things weren't looked for. They said that this would have had to have been a professional burglary if the burglar was able to kill all four family members in their beds, but professional burglars would have checked behind picture frames and bookcases for safes, and none of those things were moved. Hmm. I don't think I agree with this at all about the professional burglary theory, um, that's just weird. I like, don't keep I, my valuables behind a picture. Not everybody has a safe. Yeah. And also, if it was a professional, they'd probably know if he had a safe or not. Yeah, exactly. Um, they would have but, been studying that or, you know, getting information somehow. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It still could have been a staged burglary. Uh, and I say this because I don't think people looking to steal stuff usually 
violently kill a family. No. Usually burglars just take something and go. And if they are going to kill, then they'll probably just use a gun or a knife, not an axe that was taken from the Hendrix garage mm-hmm. and a butcher knife that was taken from the Hendrix kitchen. Interesting. Also, two yeah. very similar points. Mm-hmm. To last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All we can do, guys, is present this information, all of the important facts like Sierra said, and let you come to your conclusions. Yes. The courts have already so, made their decisions. So. so, like I said, David was quickly a suspect and also the only suspect left. Mm-hmm. He had his alibi of being on a business trip, but David's story was highly scrutinized by police. The biggest issue that police found with his story was the timeline of the events on the night of the 7th. Based on an autopsy of the digested contents in the stomachs of the children, Mm. the... I wrote coroner, but it wasn't actually a coroner. It was an acting medical examiner, because the coroner was not there that day. Mm. The acting medical examiner reported that it is possible that the children were killed at approximately 9 or 10 p.m., and so David could have been home still at the time that they were murdered. But, oh, I said it right here. The stomach (laughs) contents were discovered by an acting medical examiner, not an actual medical examiner. Mm -hmm. The actual medical examiner did the autopsy for Susan, but not the three kids, and he wasn't even there when theirs were done. Gotcha. The acting coroner who did it noticed that there were some very small bits of vegetable pizza toppings in at least one of the kids' stomachs still undigested. Based on the small bit that he scooped out and saved for evidence, he concluded that the foods weren't digested enough to have been there long. This was brought up in court, and the defense mentioned that the stomach contents as pieces of evidence are very unreliable as a determination of the time of death. Yeah, because At most digest their food. Re- like Relatively, it's like around three hours that it takes for you to start digesting your food. But Yeah, and every body is different. Exactly. Every human is different. Um at the most, it can be in your stomach to... also dissolve your body up to three hours after death. So what? They're doing something in there. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Twisted Humans. We'll be right back after this ad break. And did you know that Twisted and Uncorked patrons get ad-free episodes as well as early release for as little as $1 per month? Check it out at patreon.com slash twisted and uncorked. Now back to the show. Hey, Sierra, remember last week when I told you about that creepy man that followed me to two different locations after I went to pick up dinner? Oh my god, yeah, so scary. As creepy as that was, I felt much better because I had my She's Birdie personal alarm with me. If threatened, She's Birdie activates a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to create a diversion and help ward off possible threats. Wow! She's Birdie wow. Modern Design comes in eight pop colors, each with a solid brass keychain. She's a great companion on campus, on the trails, and out at night. And we definitely like our nightlife. Each Birdie is hand-tested and built to last. She turns on and off as needed and comes with replaceable batteries that last for 40 continual minutes. I don't think you'd ever need that, but it's nice to know you've got the replacement. Definitely. That's so awesome. And, I mean, obviously it sucks that us women have to deal with this and take these measures to stay safe, but I'm sure glad that I have my Birdie when I'm out and about, just in case. Right? 
Get yours today with our discount, Twisted10. That's Twisted10, all capitals, at checkout so they know our show sent you. Keep it twisted and chirp proudly, ladies. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today's episode is brought to you by Omnio. Amio is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Amio will magically give you all the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Amio saves you time and money. That's a win-win in our books. Amio wants to help you leave your house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to amio.com and use the code LISTENER5 at checkout. Valid until July 31st for new users on all modes of transportation. It's the pick-me-up 2021 needs. Amio, plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Stop. At most, it can be used to approximate time of death, but not determine it beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. Also, they bring up that exercise can delay the digestion. And if the kids were playing and running and jumping at Chuck E. Cheese, then maybe the digestion was slowed. 
Mm-hmm. And on top of all of that, food that isn't completely chewed can take even longer to digest than food that is chewed. And as we know, kids bite swallow. <laughs> yes, especially if they were rushing to eat because they wanted to go play. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, after this realization of the food contents, the prosecution decided that they had to find uh, more to be able to get a conviction for David. There wasn't anything more. Police checked the entire house for blood evidence. There was a luminol test done in the bathtub in the house, and it lit up like crazy, but luminol lights um, or luminol lights up for bleach as well, mm. which is something I didn't know, by the way. Um, I didn't know that because the, they know the, uh, certain scenes that may have been used to clean with yeah. bleach. Um, yeah, but so, that's also a very common bathroom cleaner, especially in... Mm-hmm the 1970s early 80s like you're talking about right like I, my yep. grandma still uses bleach to clean her toilet which yep. by the so, way don't fucking do but right <laughs> it's a separate issue sierra and i will have an environmentally friendly podcast psa one day yes that is sure. not one of those <laughs> <laughs> um so since the bathroom or the bathtub also lights up for bleach they had to do additional tests To test for blood. Every drain and sewer in the home was tested for blood evidence and no blood was found. Oh, shit. So. What was bleach If the blood. (laughs) Probably. If the blood had been in the bathtub, it did not go down the drain. He must have scooped it all out or something. Like, there's no way. Which doesn't fucking happen. No, it doesn't. It wasn't in there. Have you ever tried to cup your hands when your nose bleeds and how wildly right? unsuccessful you are at that? It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Police also got search warrants for David's car, clothes, the hotel room that he stayed in that hadn't been cleaned yet, his work office, his garage hangar where he kept his personal plane and his motorcycle, and there was not a single drop of blood on anything in any of those places. Damn, and a murder scene like what you described. Yeah. Uh, So police did not know how David did it. Money definitely wasn't the motive because he was a millionaire and they didn't even have life insurance. Uh, But they were still pretty sure he did do it. And they eventually thought they knew why he did it after digging into his work life and his religion. Mm. So David belonged to a non-denominational group of Christians called the Plymouth Brethren. His church was very strict about sinning. Earlier, I told you that his brother sinned and his family basically shamed him for it. So basically, he shouldn't have been able to even eat dinner with the family anymore because of his sin, the brother. Um, But since he did confess and apologize, he was able to eat with them. He just couldn't, like, you know, eat with the church. Right. He couldn't break bread. David was always accepting of his brother either way whether he wanted to be in the church or not which some people saw as weird like why i thought you were a big part of this church why don't you care that he sinned love love. fuck off (laughs) um okay so or he passed past church on to work for work david was creating prosthetics and braces and he was marketing them with brochures He would hire models to wear the prosthetics in pictures for the brochures. Like a 1980s man does, he was fucking creepy with these models. (laughs) Um, Like a 1980s man does. Yeah. Or maybe that's just the way they do 
back braces and medical equipment. I don't know. I'm not a prosthetic making businessman, uh, but he seems like a creeper. Here are a couple examples of what the models said happened. One of them said that while he was fitting her for the back brace, he would rub the back of his hand against his breasts when adjusting the front of it. No big deal. Creepy, sure, but probably it happens. Right. So, like, the back of his hand while he was messing with this part of the brace. Like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, it's probably something that happens when you're literally shaping something to your body. Mm. But other models would say that David insisted that they had to be topless to be fitted. He would give them a hospital gown to wear, but while they were wearing it, he would pull it away and expose their breasts at time, um, you know, to get into those grooves, Mm -hmm. which is really fucking creepy. But also, you know, we're not experts, so we're playing devil's advocate. Right. When you get to the reasons of it, it seems like it could be innocent. Mm -hmm. Um, He did have to draw on them with markers to figure out how to shape the brace to their bodies like think like the markings that you see plastic surgeons draw on their customers you can't draw those on clothes you have to do it on their skin yeah right sense um getting measurements for something that's specifically going to be for them but also these are models so yeah also it doesn't need to specifically Mm -hmm. be for them like they're just taking a picture they're not going to wear it for the rest of their life yeah that's the weird part to me uh, oh, literally, that's my next fucking sentence. <laughs> what makes it weird, for one, is these are just models. It doesn't matter if it fits right. They're going to wear it for just a little bit of time, and it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, for two, when the models were uncomfortable or questioned the taking off of their clothes, they said David would say things like, it's okay, I know it seems weird, but this is what I do with all of my clients. I'm a doctor. I've seen many girls this way. It doesn't need to be awkward. He's gaslighting them. David is not a doctor. He's a salesman. Um, Also, there were multiple times that he let the model working for him know that they actually had scoliosis. And to get the brace to fit properly, he would have to massage one side of their spine. Also, not how you help scoliosis. Both on the back of the spine... You know, and the front of the spine. No. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, No, sir. (laughs) So one model even paid close attention to the measurement notes that David was taking that, you know, he said he was taking so that he could fit the brace. Um, And she said that she noticed he was writing down her boob side, boob size on the bottom inside of the paper not where the brace measurements were like he was saving it for later Ew. yeah and the final creepy gross thing that david did well there's a bunch if you read the book but the final one i'm gonna mention um was that according to one model he tried to make an obvious move on her the model offered to show him around her city while he was on a business trip They drove around at night up some mountains to see some city lights, and eventually he parked his car, scooted close to her, put his arm around her, and moved in to kiss her, but she stopped him. She says then he teared up and explained that he was a good Christian man, but he didn't feel like God was helping him or answering him lately, so he was sinning. 
so then they went back to end the night. She was like, I'm ready to go home. And when the model was leaving, she says that David asked, since he couldn't be with her, could he at least fantasize about being with her? Ew. Yeah. Why would you fucking ask? Just do it, dude. Like, gross. Yeah. I fantasize well, about Ryan Reynolds all the time. That doesn't mean I ask <laughs> Ryan Reynolds if I may fascinate, you know. Uh, in court, he says that uh, the, the um, prosecution asks if he did this. And he was like, I definitely don't think I asked her, but I don't know. I might have fantasized about her. Um, but ew, we'll get to that. Ew. Yeah. So with all this testimony from the models, the investigators had their motive. They said that David was upset by all the temptations of the world. He believed very strongly in his religion and the beliefs that he learned from the church, but he also believed it was too easy to sin. He knew firsthand how easy it was because he had fallen victim to the temptations himself and began sinning. He loved his family very much, and they were still good and pure, unlike him. So David decided to kill them, to save them from the world's temptations, and send them to be with God. That falls under a family annihilator bracket. Yeah. The theory seemed believable enough. It was enough, with the testimony from the models, to charge David Hendricks and to take him to court. But there was still not a single piece of physical evidence or a single drop of blood evidence. Police were nervous that David was going to get away with this in the trial. So one of the investigators went to talk to David alone and off the record a few days before the trial to try to get him to confess one last time. The meeting was recorded, but the recordings were all given to David so that it couldn't be used against him in court. That was the only way David would agree to do it. He's like, you know, you can't everything I'm about to say to you. This is me and you. We're talking like men, you know, whatever. So at this meeting, the investigator told David their theory of the motive, everything I just told you. He told David, you know, I need to stop talking and just read my notes. It says he told David basically what I just told you, but in a more pointed way. I do it all the time. It's okay. We have our own processes as we tell stories. (laughs) So um, like he was like, you know, I know you did this because you loved your family and you wanted to save them, blah, blah, blah. David listened to the entire theory and didn't even flinch. He let the investigator say all he had to say, and then he explained his own story. He said he knows that he did things wrong. Uh, He, even though he did say that most of the things that the model says were exaggerated, um, he said that he knows he acted inappropriately for a married man of his faith and that he regretted it. He said he never went as far as to have sex with any of the models, but if his family hadn't died, he probably would have had sex with them if they let him. He said he now feels that the death of his family was God's punishment to him for sinning. Whoever this murderer was, David told this investigator that God put this man in David's life to teach David a lesson. He blames himself for the deaths but not because he was the murderer, because he was a sinner. Mm, not buying it. This explanation made the investigator have his own doubts about David's guilt. He completely understood what David was saying and thought that he could relate. He begged David for another explanation, 
asking him to tell the investigator, you know, like, who could have done this? Tell me someone's name so that we can look into them. Like, I don't want to put you in jail if you're not the murderer. But, like, I don't have any choices. Um, David had no ideas either. He said, I don't, I don't know who could have done this. Um, so the investigator went back to his team and told them everything that happened. And they were like, no, you're being duped. David is an amazing businessman. He got rich being able to sell people on a product. And in this case, he just sold you on his innocence. So they went on with the trial. With all of the information that I told you already, the jury found David Hendricks guilty of the quadruple homicide of his own wife and their three children. The prosecution wanted the death penalty, but at the sentencing, uh, by the time they got to the sentencing, David decided against allowing the jury to decide his sentencing. He wanted only the judge to decide his sentencing. Okay. Does that take the death penalty off the table, or does that just eliminate? No, that just means instead of 12 people get to pick, only only one one. man has to make the decision. Gotcha. The judge said at the sentencing, he disagreed with the jury. Shit. Yeah. He said, you know, the jury said, and they're a jury of your peers. They said you're guilty, so I have to say that you're guilty. But because I was not proved beyond a reasonable doubt that you're guilty i cannot sentence you to death instead i can only sentence you to life in prison wow yeah honorable it's judge crazy. though because yeah true. he's you know yeah, living he, by he, the basic premises of sentencing so. yeah of the law of his morals of everything like the death penalty is a big deal mm-hmm. you gotta really believe it mm-hmm even like even as we've talked about Michael Peterson, like even sentencing somebody to life in prison is a big deal. Like if they did not do it, that's a big deal. So, of course, shortly after he was sentenced to life, his lawyers sent out for an appeal. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, after being prisoned for all this time, David Hendricks was sent to trial again. Um, on the basis that he was not given a fair trial. So they said that his fair trial was because the jury judged him based on his religion, and due to freedom of religion laws, they should not have been able to bring up his religion. At all. Okay. Without bringing up his religion, then they can't prove their motive. So this time the prosecution was tasked with explaining their case without... They didn't use any testimony from the models, um, because... Basically, since David had admitted to it anyway, um, and also, I'll get into it, but the whole model situation was really sketchy. Um, so the judge decided that, that that the model part was not fair, and they weren't allowed to mention his religion at all. Um, in the second trial, without that information, the jury found David not guilty, mm, and he was acquitted. Yeah. Currently, David Hendricks is a free man living in Florida with his fourth wife, uh, um, what? yeah, so in... That escalated quickly. Yeah, in prison, he, um, during the seven years that he was in prison, I think it was the last two years or so, he got married to a woman who believed that he was innocent. Um, they met through, um, the church, like, he was still very close with all of his family and the church and everything, and so they introduced him to this woman who he married, um, while he was in prison, after he got free from prison, 
Um, they moved in together. She had two kids and she could never quite feel like basically she didn't think that he was done grieving over his own kids and she didn't feel like it was fair to have her kids look at him as a dad when he was still missing his own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got divorced Makes and then sense. he married another person um, for just a couple months when he was like, he said he was having a midlife crisis. He married a woman, um, bought a fancy car and a fancy boat and a fancy plane and all this stuff. And then was like, why are we even together? And they got divorced. And then his fourth wife, who he's with now, um, is like 20 years younger than him. Okay. And, um, they have one son whose middle name is Benjamin. Um, and also she's Filipino and I guess apparently in her religion, um, she, the Filipino woman gets to name the sister's first child. So she named her sister's daughter, Rebecca Grace. And there, yeah. And they're, um, currently, I'm sure they've had the child already, uh, but at the time that the book was written, which I believe was in 2019, or at least when the update was, um, they were pregnant with their second child and they were expecting a girl. So he lives in Florida with this woman. They're super happy. He continued to work for his business for a little while. Um, and then eventually sold most of his patents in a bunch of businesses and has just a shit ton of money that he's sitting on. After having spent seven years in jail and having his family's murder still unsolved, he is uh, he finds it harder to believe in God. Yeah. Um, that, you know, his family that. would have been put through all of this. There's no answers. Yep, I get that. Yeah. So some people believe that he was falsely accused and that seven years of his life were wasted in prison while he was grieving the loss of his entire family. Others believe strongly that David Hendricks is a family annihilator and that he got away with murdering his whole family. Um, I still don't know what to believe. I don't either. Sort of I do after the rest of this. Here's a little information that might help you make your decision. So first we're going to go with the side of the innocence. Um, I usually do the guilty side first, and I feel like if I do the guilty side first, then the last thing you hear is innocence, so you think innocent. So I wanted to be, you know, benefit of the doubt. I'm going to tell you innocence first and end with guilty stuff. Okay. I like So it. on the innocent side, uh, first, random fun fact. The expert witness for the prosecution side in regards to the uh, autopsy, the stomach contents, was forensic pathologist Dr. Bodden. He was also the one who many years later did the autopsy on Jeffrey Epstein and told us all that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. And I think it's safe to say we can't trust this guy. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you said I Jeffrey that, Epstein, I was like, like <laughs> yeah, I was like, are you kidding me right now? Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyway, that was just one fact. Yeah. Yes, actual information. I mean, that is true. But anyway, to this day, no blood evidence or any other physical evidence has been found to link David to the murders. Susan's family and the rest of the church has stuck by David's side through this entire ordeal. Susan's mom and siblings have even gone to David's uh, weddings and met his new wives. Wow. Um, That speaks volumes. 
yes, they're still a very close family, even though there is literally no one left blood related to them to keep them in touch with David. And still they are. That speaks volumes. Yeah. And they aren't the only people in the neighborhood or in the church group that thought David couldn't have done it. When it was first discovered that everyone in the house was dead, a few people speculated out loud that Susan must have finally gone crazy and killed the kids and herself in a murder-suicide. Which we know isn't the case, but David being a killer didn't even cross their minds. They went, Susan, the victim first. That's insane. they, They didn't even think he could be a person who was guilty. Wow. Uh, There's also been a few similar murders to the way that the Hendricks family was killed around the same time, either shortly before or shortly after. In each of these other cases, a whole family was killed, even the dad who was home at the time, so the dad was never a suspect. In two of the cases, one child ended up surviving, and both times the child told the police that two or three white or Hispanic men were the axe wielders. But in all of these cases, all of these acts, murders of these families, the police either blamed and and arrested one black man per slaying or didn't solve the case at all. All of these cases, the kids were like, it was multiple people. They had light skin. And the police were like, yeah, that one black man. Okay. Why have to lie? Right. Fucking insane. So bringing that back to this case... Defense experts in both of David's trial, including an FBI agent and a forensic pathologist, both agreed that there was a strong possibility of there being two or more murderers, not just one. For one thing, we know that there were two weapons used. Um, But there were also a few markings that made the experts believe that there could have been three or even four weapons used. Just the two were the ones that were left there. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the blood spatter evidence showed two different cast-off patterns. Obviously, that could just be from two different weapons, but experts went as far as to say that the way in which the weapons were used were different. Like, possibly one of the murderers was left-handed and one was right-handed, or one was much taller than the other one. Mm. Because of the um, other murders of the families all being in different states all over the U.S., it's hard to say that there's, you know, some axe murderer serial killing group but it is interesting to think that maybe there is some train hopping joy riding family killers who have not much of a motive other than slayings and some loose cash Mm -hmm. also interesting that the kids have said white or hispanic men multiples and again police just flat out ignored them and blamed it on only one black men in some cases yeah which was not part of the description but okay yeah ridiculous anyway The most interesting thing to me that makes me think that he might be innocent is that Susan's sister, Martha, has since come out and taken back the alibi that she gave for her husband, John. Remember that she and he were the black sheep of the family, but back then David and Susan still cared for them anyway. John babysat Benji, so he would be closest, and that would explain the overkill. Um, John also used to call David his millionaire brother-in-law. If the purse and things were gone through, money could have been the motive. Um, Apparently, there was a couple hundred dollars missing from the home, but, like, um, David didn't, like, 
press it because he's a fucking millionaire. He doesn't need a couple hundred dollars. Another motive could have just been that they were the black sheep of the family. The baby shower that Susan had went to on the last day she was alive was for a family friend who Martha knew, but Martha was not invited. Hmm. And apparently Martha was upset enough about not being invited that she cried to her husband about it. Maybe he wanted to get revenge for he and his wife being looked down upon by the church group. Maybe. Originally, Martha had said that her husband came home from work and went to bed with her and was with her all night. All these year li- years later, in either 2018 or 2019, Martha started saying that she didn't tell the whole story. John did leave after he got home from work around 10 p.m. and told her that he was going to go to the gym to lift weights for a little while. Hmm. On top of that, she now says that he came home with bloody scrubs just a few days after the murders. He told her that they belonged to a co-worker of his, and he told the busy co-worker that he would wash them for him. John was an orderly, so having a co-worker with bloody scrubs isn't a big deal. Um, but Martha didn't question it, probably because she was in denial. Hospitals wash scrubs. Yeah. Yeah, that too. Well, I don't know. This is the 80s. Yeah, that's Nobody true. Knows. That's true. Um, Not liking so, John at this point, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Martha didn't question it. And when he asked her to wash the bloody scrubs that he brought home from work, she did. And now she thinks she may have washed away an important piece of evidence from her own sister's murder. No! These accusations from Martha came right after her and John were divorced. He gave police the name of the person whose scrubs he brought home and said that Martha is only accusing him of these things because she's unhappy about the way the marriage ended. Police believed him and left it alone. But David, being free now, believed Martha and paid a private investigator to look into it deeper. According to the investigator, the person whose scrubs John says he washed didn't even work with John for months after he brought them home. He didn't even know the guy at the time. Maybe John just said the wrong name, or maybe Martha said the wrong date of when the scrubs were brought home. But again, the private investigator followed up with this information. They asked John to explain how the scrubs belonged to that friend that he didn't even know mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, why and, would you wash bloody scrubs for a stranger? Yep, and John clammed up. He refuses to speak with David's PI any further and will only speak with police. But the police don't really care. In their minds, David is the main and only suspect They proved it once, and they can't just pin it on someone else now. The case is closed and inactive in the police department records. That makes me so mad. Yes. So, now time for uh, more guiltier things. Well, actually, let me me tell you about the model stuff real quick. Um, It kind of goes for innocence. So... The models is the main thing that gives everyone pause about believing that he's innocent um, because he was a creep. But being a creep doesn't make you a murderer. No. Um, I know many. uh, Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. I mean, he is technically labeled a murderer, but I don't believe that. We know many creeps that aren't murderers. 
It's hard to say how much of the model's statements are true. And I really do hate to say that because I don't want to ever suggest that a woman who is sexually harassed or assaulted shouldn't be believed. But in the case of a murder trial, it's quite literally their word against his. He admitted under oath that he took it too far with two of the models. He apologized multiple times and claimed that he really thought that their actions towards him were a confirmation that they were okay with what he was doing. He said on the stand that now that he hears it from their perspective, he is embarrassed that he even felt that way because he didn't realize it wasn't mutual. And all of the models who did speak um, confirmed that David stopped his advancements as soon as they asked him to. So it seems he might just be really bad at reading women. Um, he thought they liked him, but as soon as they said they don't, he backed off. Yeah, when normally in cases like that, things will escalate to anger and violence. Right. Uh, My main reason for even slightly believing David about all of this is because of the way that the police interacted with the models in the first place. It was sketchy. So, first off, police brought the models in for questioning all at the same time. Seeing all the others that were there to tell a story could have influenced some of them to make more out of the situation that they were in. What could have been a normal modeling session. Yes. What could have been a normal modeling session may now look to the girls like it was under false pretenses if they think that all these other girls were sexually harassed. And then secondly, they brought David in through the police station in handcuffs while the models were there so that the models could see him being arrested. Again, this could look to the models like, oh, this guy who I thought was just a prosthetist. Yep, I said that right. Uh, is actually a murderer, so maybe he was creepier than I originally mm-hmm. thought. And they ham up their stories yet again. Yes. So, for all of these reasons, innocent is looking good. Mm-hmm. Now let's get into guilty. Okay. Uh, There were reports of the Hendricks being very disciplined in their beliefs. Because of their religion, it is said that the family didn't even own a TV. And the kids weren't allowed to interact too much with the outside world because of all of the temptations to sin. David says this is all an exaggeration of his religion, and they were a completely normal family. But if it is true, and it's not an exaggeration... It makes the first theory police had seen more realistic. If they had gone to Chuck E. Cheese and David saw that his kids were having a little too much fun and he thought that they might give in to temptations soon like he had started doing, maybe he'd want to save them and send them to the Lord before they sinned. And then his wife, Susan, had gotten home really late. She got home at 1030 and maybe she smelled of alcohol and you know she he needed to save her too drinking alcohol was one of the sins in their religion by the way um well fuck me then right from what i can tell susan's body was not tested for alcohol content but there was a bottle of wine found in the hendrix home that night and all of the family said it couldn't have belonged to them because they didn't drink So was it an intruder's bottle of wine or did Susan come home with it and make David think she needed to be saved? 
Um, some people also reported that Hendrix was the strict kind of father that used to punish his kids by beating them with a belt. I've been beat with a belt before, so say. this doesn't strike me as weird. But also, also my parents weren't heavily involved in religion, and I feel like if you weren't allowed to drink, you probably weren't allowed to beat your kids. But religion is weird, so I could be wrong. Um, also, the suggestions of these beatings came from people who didn't really know the family that well. Susan's parents and siblings said that David was actually super awful at disciplining the children, and it annoyed Susan. She was the one who had to do it, because anytime David tried to do it... He would feel bad. He would end up laughing with them and not getting his point across, and the kids did not learn a lesson. No. The family obviously has a reason to be biased in his defense, so it just depends on who you believe with those beating stories. Mm-hmm. The final thing that people get caught up on is the fact that David asked even Benji when he told when he was told his family was killed. Uh, being the only son, David was pretty close with Benjamin. Many people theorize that the reason the investigators never found evidence linking David to the murders is because he hired someone to do the killings. He told them where to find the weapons around the house and told them to stage it as a break-in. The theory is that he asked the hired killers to kill the whole family, but not to hurt Benjamin enough to kill him. He wanted his only son to survive. But then somehow the communication got twisted up and the hitman thought that he wanted Benji hurt the worst instead of the least. And so when he was told his whole family was dead, he had an oh no moment and asked even Benji. So, you know, Mm. I love conspiracy theories, Mm -hmm. but even I think this one is a bit of a stretch. Getting the hit so wrong that you accidentally overkill the person you're supposed to leave alive Seems like really dumb hitmen. Yes. And if the hitmen... they should not be in that field of business. If the hitmen (laughs) were that dumb, wouldn't they have left some evidence somewhere? That too. Yeah. I think the even Benji comment was just because Benjamin was such a young, innocent little boy. Um, None of them deserve this, but especially not a five-year-old child. Uh, The hitman theory itself doesn't seem too crazy, though, since there is no evidence. It really does seem professional to me. It's just the Benji-specific part that doesn't make sense. So what do you think happened? I have no fucking idea. (laughs) These cases are insane. I... Guys, why? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't understand. I feel just as lost as I did with my episode. On so many levels, I could believe him and look at him as being a good family man. And on so many levels, I could look at him as being an overly literal piece of shit that you know, killed his family to yeah. save them. I don't know. Not liking John. For sure not oh, liking for John. for sure not liking John. Yeah. And even the judge said, beyond a reasonable doubt, I can't convict you. Yes. So, so the book about this case is actually called Reasonable Doubt, and it is used in colleges as a reference for what jurors are supposed to look at as reasonable doubt. Shit, in his first that. trial, there was plenty of reasonable doubt, and the jurors overlooked it, and that's mm-hmm. why the trial wasn't fair. So he made a smart decision, likely, in opting for yes. the judge to make the final decision and not. Yes, the definitely. Jurors. The jurors would have sentenced him to death. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so for me, still, it's hard to say whether I think that he's innocent or guilty. Um, what I think for sure is that his first tri- trial was not fair. And based Great. on the way our justice system works, he should be out right now. And he is. Um, so that's good. Uh, I also think he might have done it. Um, I think he... If he did do it, he had to have hired someone to do it. He couldn't have done it just because there's no way to get rid of all of that uh, evidence. Um, but exactly. even if he did, because of the way the justice system is, um, he's proven to himself in all these years that he's not a danger to society anymore. Um, he hasn't done anything else. So, like, I don't know. I'm not mad he's out of jail. Yeah, leave him alone. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. If he did it, that sucks. But also, he did seven years, and either he did it and seven years reformed him, or he didn't do it and he wasted seven years. You know what I mean? Like, either way, he's not doing anything wrong now. (laughs) So, leave him alone. It's a good good way to look at it. Definitely listen to it on Audible if you guys have Audible. Reasonable Doubt by... Oh, and by the way. So, it's called Reasonable Doubt by Steve Vogel. V-O-G-E-L. Um... And before I finished the book, I started getting antsy and I was like, I need to know more information about John and I need to know more information about these models and I need to know. And so I emailed Steve Vogel and he emailed me back and it was awesome. Yeah, Sierra told me about this two weeks ago, guys. So I didn't even tell her the book name. I was just like, (laughs) oh, my God. A published author <laughs> emailed me back. Yeah. So um, he was like, you're getting ahead of yourself. Just keep listening. I hope you love it. You know, all of your, answer- your questions will be answered. Um, and they were. And I'm so glad. Wow. That's awesome that he, yeah. you know, he uh, he saw your passion and felt the need to respond. Yeah. So that's very cool. That's great. Shout out to you, Steve. Uh, but great job. Um, as per usual, guys, um, we will let you guys vote on our next special topic round because this has been a lot of fun if you enjoyed the episode please 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 with a cherry on top go leave us a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts. it is the best way to help spread the word about the show mm-hmm. um tell your friends tell your family you know make them go listen to an episode do what I do and force somebody into a car on a trip with you and force them to listen. Please don't force anyone make... into your car. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, wow, that sounds really bad. Force people who are already in your car to listen. Do not force people into your car. <laughs> Good advice, always. <laughs> If you want to support the show further, uh, minus forcing people into your car, you can go on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash uncorked. We have perks starting at $1 per month. Uh, you can see all of the goodness we do there. I'm going to leave you on the edge of your seat. I'm going to make you go look. Um, mm-hmm. But it means the world to us, um, and it's what keeps you know this little train rolling. Um, we also have a merch store and, you know, you can find us all over social media, tag us, talk to us, you know, we love our listeners. So interacting is lots of fun and mostly let us know what you've thought about this 
this case. Like, let us know your opinion. Do you think David is innocent? Do you think he's guilty? Are you on the fence like Sierra and I? Are you upset that this has even been a special topic for oh, the last two weeks? I do want to mention, again, special thank you to Katarina. By yes. the way, Katarina believes that he's guilty. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Look at her. Strong opinions. Right? I like it. We like strong opinions. Let Maybe know, this episode changed her mind. What do you think, Katarina? Let us know. Send us a message. Um, and, you know, we love our listeners, and we couldn't do it without you. It'd just be Sierra and I talking to each other from across a continent. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sierra, what's our uh, fun fact for this day? Um, happy July 20th. Nope, that was last week. Happy July 27th to everyone. Today we are celebrating the birth of the cartoon character Bugs Bunny, whose first debut was on this day in 1940. Fucking so in love with that fact. (laughs) Even though that is like a huge childhood trauma, quick anecdote, my cousins called me bugs and they still do because my first adult teeth that grew in and the first adult teeth that I lost were my two front teeth and you know little kid teeth are a lot smaller than adult teeth yeah so they called me bugs and bugs bunny and all sorts of things and I was very insecure about it and they ask me time and time again if I'm ever gonna let it go the answer is no as per usual we'll see you guys next week for another episode and in the meantime keep keep it it twisted Thank you for listening to Twisted and Uncorked Podcast. Remember, if you like the show, to go leave us a five-star rating and review. We couldn't do it without you guys. Now stay tuned to hear about another cool podcast. I'm Paige, the host of Reverie True Crime. I tell stories of helpless victims, vicious killers, predators watching their prey before they strike, survivors, petty crimes, People we think we know who do the unthinkable and the dangers that lurk not only in the dead of night, but in plain sight and the light of day. Every once in a while, I'll also tell stories of the frightening paranormal, elusive cryptids, haunted locations, and conspiracies that may be silly or thought-provoking. You can listen to Reverie True Crime wherever you're listening to this podcast. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and even Tumblr at Reverie True Crime. Remember, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings at all times, and take care. Take care.